And here we are, motivating you to live more creatively. I'm Rod Jones. And I'm Angie Jones. Welcome to the Thought Road Podcast. Let's start with a motivational quote. What do you have for us today, Angie? Well, this quote was given to us by our guest today, and it's a good one. So here's the quote. It says, don't say you don't have enough time. You have exactly the same number of hours per day that were given to Helen Keller, Pasteur, Michelangelo, Mother Teresa, Leonardo da Vinci, Thomas Jefferson, and Albert Einstein. And the quote is by H. Jackson Brown, Jr. That's quite a quote. Isn't it, though? And quite a group of talent. And I guess when you think about it, we're all dished out 24 hours a day, filled with hours and minutes. And what we do with those pretty much is our choice, right? We all have free will. True. And, and we can make the decision, what am I going to do with every precious minute of the day? That doesn't mean that you really shouldn't take a break sometimes to recharge your batteries, but it's also kind of important that you make your hours uh, of your life productive. They pay off in the long run, at least I think they do. Well, they, they really do, but what I think what maybe I'm my interpretation of this, and this is very honest, is... When you say, oh, I didn't have enough time to do something, it's because you prioritized everything else over what you really wanted to do. So maybe what this means is that these people were better at prioritizing their time instead of putting everything else in front of what you wanted to do. Well, when you consider their uh, histories, their biographies, Mm -hmm. their CVs even, Mm -hmm. um, they're pretty packed full of earth-shattering, life-changing. Big time. Yeah, they impacted hundreds of millions of people around the world just by what they did or what they created or what they taught Mm -hmm. or what they even learned in some cases like Helen Keller. Right on. Well, so for me, my takeaway, because I try to learn from our quotes and or try to apply them, and I'm sure everybody else out there does as well when you hear a quote, and that is, how can I apply this quote? If you're saying, I don't have enough time, maybe you need to evaluate the time you do have. What are you doing? So what's our topic today? Well, today we're going to talk about art museums. There are no shortage of art museums around the world. No. So I want to hit you with this one. No. What's your favorite art museum? My favorite art museum, well, I have a special place in my heart for the Musée d'Orsay in Paris because that is where I saw the self-portrait of Van Gogh that brought me to tears. I just, I think that's why I love it so much. And also it's a very cool museum and it has a lot of contemporary art, which I enjoy a lot. It's kind of eclectic too. I mean, they have some beautiful sculptures in there. And I like the fact it's in that old train station. Yes. In fact, it's the train station you often see in movies, uh, old black or white movies. They filmed a lot of those movies in there. And the fact there's a famous, famous photograph, uh-huh. uh, actually it was turned into a painting. I shouldn't say photograph, it was a painting. Uh-huh. And I think it was Monet that did it, where they closed the station or had everybody stay back so he could capture or create a painting of the steam coming out of one of those steam engines. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, it's a famous, famous painting. And, of course, it disrupted all of Paris to think that an artist was able to go in there and shut down their transportation <laughs> system <laughs> so he could capture the steam in, 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 hey, its, it's in all of its authenticity. So what is your um, favorite museum in the United States? My favorite museum in the United States? That's a good question. Um, I think it would have to be the Hammer in West L.A. 
And I think I like that because I really enjoy the layout of it. It's never really super crowded, which is a good thing or a bad thing, I guess, if you look at it museum uh, speak. And I really like their little room downstairs where they feature new artists exhibiting. And I think that's such a fun little room. I enjoy, I would just go there just to see that because it's always so fresh and exciting to see who the new artist is. I mean, I enjoy seeing the the established artists and the ones that are tried and true, but I do enjoy seeing the new works. Yeah, their permanent collection is, they've got some pretty masterful pieces in their collection. But after we've walked around that museum for a little while, I really like going to their outside cafe and having a cup of tea. Oh, me too. That's my other favorite thing to do there. It's just, it's very serene. It has a nice um, energy to it. So it's really nice. So Rod, what is your favorite museum? Well, this is going to be a little bit difficult because I don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> okay, where? And is I'm not it? even going to attempt it in case somebody that's been to that museum is going to think, gosh, can you speak our language? It's a museum no. in Zurich. And oh. I remember we had to walk through neighborhoods. We had to hump up a hill, go through various neighborhoods. In fact, even when we got there, it's a big two, three-story, almost mansion-like looking home. And uh, when we went into it, I thought, oh, I don't know about this place, but it turned out to be an incredible museum and they had incredible works of art. The one thing that I always thought was a little mysterious about it is it didn't look like it had much security. We went from floor to floor. There was literally nobody following us or, I mean, we would walk up to a Rembrandt and a Van Gogh, you name it. They had it in that museum. And I I remember saying to um, Angie and our daughter, It just seems to me they should have more security in this place. Well, unfortunately, I mean, I never said that outside of our own personal conversation, but several years later, we found out that it was robbed and they lost hundreds of millions of dollars of paintings. And that only represented, I guess, the thieves walked off with four paintings. It's a real tragedy. But if you ever have the opportunity, you could look it up online. I'm sure you could figure it out. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's the museum in Zurich. And it's pretty spectacular. Yeah, and it my, was a special museum. And I, I'm hoping you're going to ask me my favorite museum in the United States. I am going to ask you, what is your favorite museum in the United States? The Huntington Library. Oh. Now, there's a couple of things I like about it. They do have art shows there. They invite artists in to have a show. But the thing that I think I like about it, besides the gardens, the gardens are incredible, the sculptures are incredible, but they have a library. I mean, that. Huntington Library. They have a tremendous collection of literature and they have original copies of Shakespeare, you name it, they've got it. But the publication or the book that I like the most is Audubon's book with the incredible illustrations of birds. It's an original copy. They have it in a case, but they can flip pages for you if you really beg them to do that. The other thing is you could do research there. They have a little research library. Mm -hmm. So if you want to read an original work by Tennyson or Thoreau or Emerson, whatever, they have it all. And you can actually sit down and go through some of these books. I don't think they give you the original signed copies but to review, but going into that library is really special and it's a it's a piece of art all onto itself. It really is. And that is I remember that Audubon book and it is absolutely stunning. Such a stunning book. And as well as the other books that are there. Yeah, the gardens and stuff that are there are it's it's just a lovely place to go. Mm-hmm. Uh 
spend a day or even spend a week in there. One reason, and there are many museums, many of the museums in this world are really wonderful. And one of the reasons why I think so many people like to go there is because you actually have a chance to look at original work of art. Mm-hmm. I completely agree with you, Rod. I know for me, I derive a tremendous amount of pleasure looking at an original piece of art in person, especially if I have the luxury of visually exploring it myself. You can't get that, even especially now, we're kind of forced to look at art on our computers, or if you want to look up a special piece you heard about, or even Mm -hmm. if you want to see an online collection from a museum you've visited or always wanted to visit, you have to look at it on a computer, a mobile phone. Unfortunately, a lot of people look at art on their mobile phones, and there's just no way you mm-hmm. could ever get the interpretation of what that artist intended in that painting. You can never pick it up through a piece of glass. No, I don't think you can. It's it's difficult, even though you can see the image and it looks very beautiful, of course, but you really don't get the essence of the painting or the artwork. Even a photograph, I think when you see them in person, is far different than looking at it online. Another interesting thing about museums that we've discovered is now they all have large photographic collections. Which is nice. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because like it, it. you'll see, in many cases, you'll see more people in the gallery with the photography yeah, than you do yeah. with the art. Yeah. And I think people really relate to photography now, which is really kind of exciting and interesting. Um, but, you know, you'll walk into a main gallery and you'll see their prized pieces and you'll see people, a group around them, especially if there's a tour going on and they're explaining the work of art. Yeah. So true. I know when Angie and I, we have to photograph our art so we can post it on social media and especially on our websites. And we're very careful in how we photograph it, but you still have to tweak it. We'll stick it into Lightroom or Photoshop and just make some minor adjustments trying to get the color right or the the contrast is right so it looks good on a screen. But it never fully translates. No, I don't think it does. You do the best job you can, but I'll look at, I'll go and look at an original piece of art that I've created or one that Angie's created and I get very excited about it. It gives off this really interesting energy. And then I look at it after we photographed it and put it on our websites and I go, yeah, well, that's kind of nice, but, you know, but it's a good introduction. I mean, at least it gives people an opportunity to see your work because Mm -hmm. not everybody is going to get an opportunity uh, to come into your home or into your studio and see your work in person. Mm -hmm. The benefits of a museum is they're open to everybody and you can stand in front of a painting and meditate as long as you would like, I guess. Yeah, that's the good part about going in person to a museum or I'm going to say gallery where you can actually feel, sense, uh, look at it with your own eyes, see the textures the artist has put on the canvas or if it's a sculpture, you know, you can really see the the technique they used. And I think it really uh, gives you a different perspective of how the art is perceived by the artist. If you also, if you read a biography on your favorite artist and you have the opportunity to go to a museum and see their work in person, it just makes that biography so much richer. Oh, true. Very true. You don't, you don't really fully, especially if a book has an illustration or a plate of a painting, uh, like Venus de Milo or something, you don't really capture the feeling of that painting and what you see in a book. Now you get a nice background on it 
what the artist was thinking, what mm-hmm. he did, how he did it. Right. But that's open to interpretation. But when you stand in front of a great work of art, it's just completely different. Agree, a hundred percent. The United States is is got some pretty famous museums and some excellent collections of work, and there's shows that that are traveling. They go all around the world. We had uh, an opportunity once to see Agnes Martin. Both the uh, engine and I really wanted to see that show, and it was on tour around it was the world. At LACMA, wasn't it? Yeah, it yeah. ended up uh, it ended up in LACMA, I think. It was a I actually went to show. San Francisco after that, but that was. Um, She's an interesting artist. Yeah, she is very interesting. That's one of those artworks where if you try to photograph it, impossible, I, impossible. You cannot get the subtle nuances and um, the shade colors and how she constructs her art is very uh, different in person as opposed to looking at something online. In fact, you gave me a book a long time ago. I want to say a few years ago on Agnes Martin, which one of my favorite artists. I love her. And it is the most exquisite book I have ever seen in my life. And it it stays on our bedroom dresser because I just adore it so much. But it's such a personal, it almost looks like a journal the way they constructed it. And I, I have to say that's the closest it's come to looking like Agnes Martin's work when you see it in person than I've seen in other books. Yeah, it, that, that one was rendered really well. I think what was interesting to me in the book is it showed how she painted or how she created her art with the little pencil lines, etc. Mm-hmm. But her, her all of her tools, she had this old dresser, one tube of paint, couple pencils, and a little brush. Which goes to show you, if you want to make art, you can make it happen no matter how little you have. Talk about meeker tools. I mean, she just, she didn't have a lot of money. She was, money was always tight for her, especially in the beginning. Fortunately, she had some friends that started to promote her, but she lived very humbly uh, in a very small home, if you could call it that. Mm -hmm. And all she did basically was paint. And if you ever, uh, or create her art, I can't even say they're all paintings, but if you ever have the opportunity to see them, uh, you can understand why she would spend hours and hours and hours developing some of those works of art. And some of them are quite large. There's some small ones there, but some of those, what would you say they were? Oh, gosh. A few feet across, a few feet tall. Yeah. A a majority of them were very, very large. I was surprised at how big they were. Yeah, and that's just an example of what happens when you have the opportunity to go to a museum. There's museums virtually in every town. In every city, for sure, there's some really major museums. And maybe if you have to drive a little bit, visit a museum, uh, no matter where you are in the world. Yeah, of course, it's fun to say, oh, I went to the Louvre or some major museum in the world. But the smaller museums actually have an awful lot to offer. We went to a museum once at Bakersfield, and they had uh, Picasso porcelains. Which was really fascinating. They were so good. Yeah, I would have never seen those anywhere else in the world. How they pulled that together, I don't know, but that was pretty exciting to see that. Plus, it was very intimate. The way they had everything laid out, you could get very close to them. You could really explore them and see what he he was trying to interpret Mm -hmm. abstractly, I should say. You know, I, I have to say, when we went to the Picasso Museum, and that's where we saw some pottery that he had done and ceramics, That's the only other place I've ever really seen that. When we went to the Bakersfield Museum, they had quite the little show there. Yeah, no, and you compare that to the, they had that giant Picasso show at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Yeah, you saw that. I didn't see that Yeah, I was lucky enough to see that it was there. But 
what was really interesting is they had some tiles that he did, but I couldn't. I don't ever remember seeing any pottery there. Oh, really? That's and probably the thing that I was most that I was most excited to see because I'd only seen photographs of it, and I always wondered what it looked like in person was the portrait he did of Gertrude Stein. Oh, okay, interesting. So that painting was there. That painting was there. Oh. And that was uh, that was pretty special because you see it on the cover of books. Yes, uh, you see it rendered at a lot of different places. But I never have had the opportunity to see it in person, and probably never will. That was a touring show, and I just happened to be in New York, and I just happened to be able to go see it. Yeah, you're lucky to see that one. It was a good show. There's a relatively new museum in Southern California that's in its seventh year. And it's called the Sassy Museum of Art. That's the museum that was founded by Gene Sassy. Right. And who we are delighted to have as our guest today. I'm looking forward to this. Hi, Gene. Welcome to the Thought Row podcast. Hi, Gene. It's good to have you today. We always like to start out with a tough question. So here you go. Are you ready for this, Gene? <laughs> I would, I guess so. I hope I'm so. I'm sitting on the edge of my chair wondering what you're going to ask. Yeah, hang on. <laughs> it's earth shattering. <laughs> no, uh, the question is, what did you have for breakfast today? Um, well, it's probably something a little off the wall, but I had a uh, peanut butter raisin and cinnamon wrap. Mm. Oh, that sounds good. Is that something that you concocted yourself or is that store-bought? No, I, I make it. Um, I guess it probably came from when my backpacking days, I found a recipe in Backpacker Magazine. They call it Backpacker's Delight. Oh. And it had peanut butter, raisin, soy lecithin, tiger's milk, poppy seeds, and a whole bunch of other stuff. That sounds really delicious. That sounds like a good way to start a day, yeah, too. Yeah, it does. Lots yeah. of fuel. Gives you the energy that you need to make it through your daily tasks. Exactly. Well, I will start out by asking you, you've been managing two... You've had dual careers, I should say. Yeah. One is a commercial photographer, and the second as the founder and director of the Sassy Museum of Art. And how do those two work together? Um, most of my career, or I've been a storyteller. Mm -hmm. um, I tell visual stories with my photography, the exhibits, books and catalogs that I do. And I also teach at a community college, and I also tell my students, you know, that we're visual storytellers and so I, I build on that all the time. And life's all about telling stories. Well, photography, certainly, I mean, it's a visual thing. And Very, a lot of photography yeah. is, I guess you could say, editorial. You're, you're not painting something. You're actually capturing something. So you have to put your thoughts and ideas in your mind, take a picture of it, interpret mm -hmm. it. And mm -hmm. then I guess it, it sounds like you write about it, too. Is that correct? A little bit. Okay. When you're doing the visual storytelling, as photography is, what kind of response do you hope to evoke from the audience? Um, boy, that's a good question. I'm not sure what the answer to that is, but um, as I said, you know, life is all about storytelling. Mm -hmm. You know, that's how we convey ideas and history and everything else. So I guess my goal is to start a dialogue with the viewers mm -hmm. um, and for them to interject their own life uh, stories. That's wonderful. When you're teaching photography, do you talk to your class that way? Or do you say, hey, we're going to, uh, you give them an assignment and the assignment is to create a visual story about a cactus or something? Do you ever do that? 
Um, yeah, I, I, I visit it frequently. You know, basically the story, the assignment is uh, storytelling using XYZ and um, or to visualize, you know, to visually tell a story about something. It's a, it's a concept that they're not used to hearing. So, but, um, and my goal as an instructor is to try to motivate them uh inspire them to do to go outside their comfort zone mm-hmm. does it work <laughs> yeah does it um, work? <laughs> I, I, th- I think so it's it's funny i talked to my assistant this morning about that and i've had you know students that come back at a later date and says well i had no idea that you know that this assignment would would benefit me later on in my career mm-hmm. and one of the things i do that none of the instructors do is give assignments where they have to shoot to a particular crop and one of my students got a job recently uh, working for a company where she's doing uh, G-Clay prints. And a client came in and wanted all these you know, particular sizes that she had to scale it to. And she goes, wow, I never thought that would come into, you know, into being able to need it. And all of a sudden she did. And most of the time the students say, well, why do we have to do this type of stuff? You know, why right. are you so bent on giving us all these weird proportions and crops and things. Well, as a teacher, that must have been gratifying to you. It's yeah. always nice to hear back from a student. Not that I've ever had one, but I would like uh, to hear from one. <laughs> it is. I, it, it's, it's, it's far and few in between, but every once in a while, I do hear back. And I've, I've had a couple students gave an assignment, and they go, I hate that type of stuff. And after they did it, they go, wow, that's really quite fun. I enjoy doing that. I'm going to do more of it. Yeah, you're, you're expanding their mind. I mean, you're doing what a good teacher does. You know, I understand that you've been a commercial photographer your whole adult life, and then you decided to build an art museum. Why did you decide to do that, Gene? Um, I felt there was a need that wasn't being met in this area. Uh, L.A. has lots of uh, art museums and different venues out in this area. There's very few, and most of the galleries are on college campuses. And I wanted to do something different than what was being done. And I think I've accomplished that. I've had people come back and say, wow, you're doing things that the, the big boys aren't doing with, you know, the electronic catalogs on our website and things. But um, yeah, those are very impressive. Very, nice. very impressive. Those electronic catalogs. Um, I felt there was a need and I could wait for somebody to do it or I could do it. And I guess I'm a, a starter. So I went ahead and went down that road. Well, we have a little bit of a follow-up with that, and that is both uh, Angie and I were thinking about this. Do you think that, that in retrospect, was that a good decision to start this museum? Um, yes and no. Um, what are the yeses? Uh, <laughs> well, there was a need, and um, and I had a lot of tools in my tool belt that, that I could use to start it. Uh, I was a web developer. Um I have uh, worked on a lot of art books. I know a fair amount of artists. I had curated maybe a dozen exhibits for another small museum. So I felt I had, you know, the tools I needed. So that's why I went down that road. Um, the no is there's it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the work falls on my shoulders. And so I produce most of the catalogs. I've got a client uh, when I first started business, he's a graphic designer, and he does some of the more sophisticated catalogs and the logos and stuff that uh, that we use. But um, you know, and not uh, it's I started the museum with nothing from nothing, and um, 
you know, would have been nice having uh, financial reserves and the money to hire the talent I need to to grow the museum. Oh, sure. That I think that's an issue even with the big boys now. I want to go back to your photography for one minute. I know that periodically you've had shows, photography shows, in museums of your own work. In, a, in fact, Angie and I had the opportunity to go to one, yes. and we were very impressed with your Beautiful. talent your landscapes and your interpretation of nature. Um, What excites you about it when you see your work hanging on the wall of a museum? Um, Wow. Um, We know you get excited because we all do. (laughs) Um, You know, I guess, to be honest, I don't, you know, I I enjoy it. It's nice seeing it on the walls. Um, well, you get I feedback didn't. when, you know, when you're standing there, I noticed the, because we were, you know, we had an opportunity to visit one. But one of the things that I noticed is you were standing in front of one of your photographs and there would be anywhere from one, three, four, five people all standing around asking you questions about it. I'm sure they go, well, what F-stop did you use? <laughs> or, you know, but they'll probably say, where did you photograph this? And, because a lot of your black and white photographs are from very interesting locales that are not common. They are not common. Not I mean, common you went out of your way to go out there. So I'm guessing you get some satisfaction just by the questions that people ask you and, ex- and they help you explore it even further. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Um, you know, when I go out, I basically, I just, I go to explore. If I find something interesting, I photograph it with digital, you know, it's a lot easier and um, you know, doesn't take as much setup before that. I primarily shot large format, and which was four by five. You have sheet film, and everything's on a tripod. And then mm-hmm. later on, I switched to my medium format. Still had to use a tripod, but you know, wasn't nearly quite as much equipment. And with digital, it's just you know, it's a lot freer to explore things right. and not having to, you know, haul you know hundreds of sheets of film or you know mm-hmm. dozens of rolls of film. So right, right. Now, I know um, I'm going to continue with your commercial photographer topic here. And as a commercial photographer, you had to deal with so many different client personalities. How has this prepared you for dealing with the personality of artists in a museum? Um, I've, you know, yeah, I've had difficult clients and some of them incredibly Mm -hmm. difficult. And I only had one client that I almost walked off the job on, but I I didn't. And... um, I have a difficult when when somebody asks me a question and tell me after I give the answer that my question was useless or not needed, and then my question is why did you ask that question to begin with? But, yeah, um, sure. Yeah. You know, we think, I never tried. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, all I was going to say is clients are one thing. Artists, I think, could be a whole other animal, yeah, if you will. They all have so many different personalities and mm-hmm. different perspectives. As dealing with the clients, has that helped you in dealing with uh, artists' personalities? Probably. You know, I don't try to force my views on other people. Um, I I listen to what they have to say um, and, um, you know, and go from there. I'm a good listener in a lot of artists that, you know, that are difficult and they just says, wow, you know, you listen and, and I don't try to change their mind or anything so but basically i'm a good listener so i just i use that right when you do when you create when you curate because you have to curate the show for your museum it's your museum and you select the pieces that you want to hang how does that go 
when you're dealing with artists? Do they go give you any like, oh, no, no, I don't want you to select that one? How does that go? How do you mitigate those kinds of challenges? I haven't had many of those. I've only had a couple. Um, one artist, he's one of the difficult artists I dealt with. I did an exhibit, and he walks in. He goes, that piece is upside down. I go, oh, do you want me to rotate? It was an abstract piece. And he goes, well, of course, you hung it upside down. So I walked over, took it off the wall, and looked at the back, and I hung it by the way his signature was. So I hung it upside down to the signature upside down. That was, mm-hmm. a, that was his artist's statement. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, for the most part, it's been pretty easy, and and everybody um, is pretty accommodating. I haven't had um, very many battles or discussions and stuff. A lot of artists, they've come in and, um, you know, start to start wanting to, you know, design it and stuff, and then they just turn it over and say, you know, you do it, and they go, wow, you did a better job than I would have. And, and, and there's been a number of artists that, you know, have, they participate in, you know, more than one exhibit and they say, just do it. You just, you know, you're far better than we do it. So I think a lot of artists feel that way. I think they love it when somebody curates their show because it helps them have a new perspective. And unfortunately, or fortunately, depending upon how you want to look at it, when an artist does a painting, they often are so involved in it or they go, boy, I was so lucky I was able to make that shade of purple. So they have a bunch of energy into that. So then they think when they have a painting that's hung in a museum that everybody's going to feel or see what they put into it and not necessarily what the casual viewer would see when they walk up to it. So I think having, and, and I've seen some of your shows that you've curated and they work together great. The paintings all seem to flow nicely. It's a nice tour for a visitor mm-hmm. when you go from painting to painting or painting to photograph, or in some cases when you have a sculpt, a piece of sculpture in there. You have done a really good job. I mean, I know, unfortunately, we haven't had the opportunity to see that many of your shows, but the ones that we have uh, had the opportunity to visit your museum, the layout has been great. And also, I feel like you are very good at translating maybe what the artist isn't cognizant of of their artwork and what they want to express. So I think it's kind of a, a cool thing when you as a curator making an exhibit that you are able to translate that artist's feeling and what they want to convey. Yeah, I probably approach it differently than a lot of curators. I approach it from a visual standpoint. You know, how do they work together? How do they speak to each other? Mm-hmm. And I did an exhibit um, end of last year, middle of last year, and it was interesting. I, you know, I hear artists say all the time, you know, pieces talk to each other. But that particular exhibit, mm-hmm. the pieces really did talk to each other. And there was a dialogue that went on between them that was, was, was amazing. It was all abstract work, but still it was, you know, the, the, you know your thoughts went from piece to piece. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the story it built in your mind was, was really quite fascinating. Yeah, this is when an exhibition really shines when you when you go somewhere and it's exactly what you said, where it just there's a communication going on amongst the paintings and amongst the message and the artist. So it's like it really has a nice triad of um, communication. Yeah, so, no, I think I would agree on that. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're lucky that you could see that in person. Right, right. Besides the constraints of curating shows from artists in different time zones, how have you managed to make that work? 
Um, actually, it's no different than dealing with somebody that's out of state or in Northern California. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the tools we have with Zoom and WhatsApp, it's really very easy now. Plus, all the people I've dealt with have spoke English, so that that helps. I did do an exhibit with a Korean photographer one time, and she did not speak English. Mm-hmm. And I remember we had a meeting at a hotel lobby, and, and the uh, receptionist, she had him translate and um, oh, that's tough. Uh, it was it was it was interesting. You know, she she talked for maybe a minute and paused, and he looked at me, and she, he goes, "I don't have the foggiest idea what she said. <laughs> uh, something technical about photography." Oh, oh yeah, he wouldn't necessarily know those terms, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So your online but, uh, presence has been a productive tool then for you. It has. No, it has. You know, it's it's interesting from the beginning. Uh, viewing the stats and stuff, but we had viewers from around the world and probably from well over 50 different countries. Mm. Well, that's exciting. That's so exciting. I, I have a kind of a question related to the business side of this. Running an art museum would be considered to be like running any other kind of business. What do you think has been your greatest challenge, Gene? Um, it goes back to money, <laughs> raising money, yeah. um, and then having the money to hire you know, people to, uh, you know, to do the work necessary. Um, I started the museum with nothing from nothing and, um, and then was able to build, you know, a sizable collection that has been totally donated. You know, we have over 1,300 pieces in the collection, you know, including painting, photography, drawing, prints, sculpture, and craft pieces. Um, and we've got some, you know, fairly well-known uh, people in the collection. So, give us, a, give um, us an example of some of the people you have in your collection. I've only read about on some of the things that you've published on your website um, and maybe in a newsletter, but what do you think you're, I mean, they're all good, okay? Every every yeah, piece I mean, of work you have, you wouldn't have in your collection if they weren't exceptional. But there's probably something that you would like to hang, you know, where you could see it every day. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. When I first started, the collection was primarily paintings. And then we added a few sculptures, had a few photographs. And now the collection is over 50% photography. Um, we have work by Miller Sheets, Milford Zorins, a lot of well-known photographers like Edward Weston. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And, you know, a lot of people that that shot with him and things. And uh, Donnie Weston Thompson was married to his son. And we have a fairly large a selection of her work and then other photographers that that she knew and that that interfaced with Edward Weston in that whole F64 group that was started up in Northern California. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Exciting. You know, we're going to let everybody know how they can go online. We'll have your uh, web addresses and everything on our website so they can follow up and see what you've got going on. And they can even subscribe to your newsletter. That would be a good thing for them to do because then they'll know what your latest shows are going to be. I mean, right now, unfortunately, a lot of your shows are online, but eventually the doors will open again and people will be heading out to their favorite museum. And we certainly hope yours is one of them. Well, so then he's also doing Zoom art talks, which I understand are fantastic. How are your Zoom art talks going? Pretty good. Um, we're doing them on the third Saturday of the month, like when we had them in the museum. Um, and the nice thing about Zoom is that we have participants from outside the area. Frequently, we have people from out, out of the state um, that are participating or, or uh, sitting in on the talk. So nice. in some respects, it's, it's, it's a bigger audience than we had here because we're just dependent upon 
local people and I was always impressed when we had somebody that would drive 50 to 80 miles to get here to see a talk but mm-hmm. um, but um, the zoom has really opened up the door into a much bigger audience than what we had before well you can bring people in from other parts of the world I mean they can go on zoom and yeah. hear what you have to say yeah we haven't done that yet but we will be doing that short pretty soon so trying to work out the logistics because it's um early in the morning there, you know, because yeah. that's uh, 7 o'clock our time. Right. Yeah. Well, um, people have been referring to the Sassy Museum as the Sassy. It's very catchy. I mean, I, I like saying, yeah. oh, uh, we're going to do a podcast about the Sassy Museum. And they go, oh, that sounds cool. You know, what's that about? Um, what are your thoughts on that particular take on the museum's name, people calling it the Sassy? Oh, I think it's great. Um We've had a lot of people saying, you know, it's just, um, you know, it's it's really interesting that you have a unique name that, you know, that can be used. And it is really catchy. When I started the museum, I started out as the Inland Empire Museum of Art because I didn't want the museum to be all about me. And then uh, a marketing company suggested that we change the name. And um, after giving a lot of thought, decided to do it. It's been very positive And and it is, it is catchy. You know, you remember that much easier than you do a lot of other names. Well, it's a mm-hmm. cool name. I mean, Sassy is a very cool name. You're very lucky to have that name. And it, and it just makes sense for a museum. Right. It just totally makes sense. Um, I know, you know, like all museums, I don't know, even the biggest ones all have to address this, but I know you probably had to address the capital needs to keep the museum open. If someone wanted to start an, uh, an art museum today, what would be your number one recommendation? Uh, to have the money to to grow the museum and to hire the talent they need. Mm-hmm. I I you know people are surprised on the budget that I'm running the museum on, um, but we don't have payroll or anything else, so that helps. But uh, it uh, it takes it takes money, and you need money to hire the talent you need. Fortunately, I'm doing most of the work, and I have the tools I need to do most of the work. But, boy, it sure would be nice to delegate it to other people. If you could attract someone to come in as uh, to be an assistant or helper, what, what, do you, what would you expect that person to be like? Um, a self-starter and, and, and have ideas uh, to be creative themselves and you know, bring, bring their, their tools to the table and to supplement what I can do. Well, maybe one of our listeners, somebody out there will give you a call and explore that. I, I know that it's hard. You're basically a committee of one. I mean, you do have other people. You do have a board. Uh, but museums require, uh, it's a 24-hour task. There's no, really There's no real time that you can get away from it. You have to be constantly working it and creating shows, just curating shows. I mean, most curators, that's all they do is curate a show. You're managing and running the whole thing. So I can imagine, besides capital needs, probably the number one or second thing that is critical is having a good team of people to help you through the operational aspects of it. But from what we've seen, you've done a heck of a job, but I'm sure it would go a lot easier for you if you could attract some people in there to, to pitch in. Absolutely. Yeah, I you know when when I I don't like to micromanage. You know, if somebody's going to do something, I like to turn it over to them. We've had some outside curators, and they go, "What do you want?" And I go, "Well, you're curating. It's up to you. You tell me what you want to do." Mm-hmm. And um, so, and I've opened up. It's interesting. I've opened up to a lot of different universities and colleges in the area, 
to the art programs if students want to curate exhibits. And I've only had a couple students that have taken me up on it. And I keep asking over and over. And I would think students would be interested, you know, to, to curate exhibit for a museum. But, boy, there is very little interest, it seems. See, that is amazing to me because here's a chance to, you know, curate something. And I'm not sure. Maybe they're a little intimidated and don't want to jump in. Maybe that's maybe the that's case. It. Yeah, maybe that's yeah. the case. And that kind of leads me to the next question, which is, we know you have ambitions for the Sassy Museum of Art. Could you share with us your top three goals for 2021? Um, Well, we've talked about one, that's raising money. Right. And then also finding uh, additional help. Mm -hmm. And we've been in in discussions uh, moving into a larger space later this year so. Oh, that'll be nice. And then just continuing on what we're doing, but um, our, the biggest thing is, you know, need money to, to grow the museum and to sure. make it even better. My question is going to be a little bit more personal. Um, you know, you're running a museum, and I can imagine that takes a tremendous amount of your time, but you're also continuing your occupation as a commercial photographer, which is in itself is a challenging business to be in. Do you find it difficult to manage both? Um. Sometimes, but no, I've always, I have a, a, a client and he always used to joke when we get together for lunch that I was the only person he knew that always ran two or three businesses all the time. So uh, I ran a commercial photo lab uh, in conjunction with my photography business for a while. Uh, I was a web developer and did uh, websites for a number of clients in their electronic marketing. So, and then I've taught off and on. So I've always had my fingers in multiple, multiple jars doing things. Right. Well, if you had to build an art museum again, what would you tell somebody else that wanted to to jump into that? Um, I know we kind of we kind of asked that question before, and you talked about going to this business with capital. But right. besides that, almost every business requires that, I guess. But what would be more of a personal thought on this? What would what do you think the emotional state of that person would have to be? Um. It takes dedication, perseverance, and and willing to want to make a difference in the community. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I, I, I think I, it appears to us that you're very dedicated to this. Obviously, you know you've been doing it for every bit of. I guess you're going into your seventh year, so that's a lot of time. That's a lot of time to dedicate to a new business venture, especially one that's as demanding as running an art museum and dealing with all the different personalities and coordinating everything. And I, you just kind of tipped off a good aspect of how a person should probably be. And that would be they'd have to love it and have a total commitment to it. Would you agree? Uh, yes. You know, one of the things that um, I thought early on, I thought, okay, if I build a good foundation I could find a city that would help us open doors, not to fund it, but to open doors, you know, to the, uh, the people that have the money in the community. And I was shocked that the response I got from different cities and counties, that they just didn't want anything to do with it. And I mean, I've, I've, I approached probably a dozen cities and, um, and none of them wanted to be bothered with it. Interesting. It's very interesting so, they didn't want to get involved. Are you getting any cooperation now? No. And, and all the research shows that, you know, museums turn around downtown. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yet nobody, uh, 
nobody wanted to open doors for us or to even help us, give us you know suggestions. That's interesting because uh, you would think any downtown would benefit from it. Towns right, it, that have adopted, yeah, if they have, um, they build a little art community, they have art galleries down there, and then the restaurants open up and it becomes a happening place to go. I can't think of a better centerpiece for any downtown than to have an art museum. You know, you go to a gallery, you go to a gallery, and what's going to happen in there? You're going to look at the art, and of course, they want to sell you a piece of art so they can keep their doors open. Mm-hmm. But when you walk into an art museum, you're there just to enjoy yourself, uh, get the experience, uh, discover a piece of art that may motivate you to think or do something. It's pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting what you've been doing. Right. Um, we congratulate you. Absolutely. I know that everyone that's had the opportunity to meet with Eugene and work with you know that you're passionate when it comes to exhibiting creativity. Over the last several years, what would you consider to be your greatest personal reward? I guess is um, producing, I think I've produced uh, about 40 books and catalogs. Oh my goodness. And uh, uh, for the museum, uh, for other clients and things. So, um, So I guess that would be the biggest thing. And also seeing people that come and and get excited. So it, it's, it's real fun, especially, you know, younger people when they come. And um, we get a lot of students coming here having to write reports for classes and things. And um, uh, I have a dog that's here and referred to her as the museum dog. And there was a young couple came in, they were working on a, a school project and we were talking and Mm-hmm. And I mentioned that uh, she likes bell peppers and I've got, you know, some clients that bring her bell pepper when they came. Yeah. And um, anyway, they left and came back about a half hour later with a bag of bell peppers. They go, we didn't believe you that she liked bell peppers. We wanted to see her eat one. <laughs> <laughs> now, I have to say a comment about your your dog. When we had we came to an exhibition, I was astounded that she actually looks at the paintings like a person. She'll sit there and reflect and walk from painting to painting. It is the most amazing thing I have ever seen. Yeah, she's taught me a lot. (laughs) I love it. That seems like a a good place to end this interview, Jean. You were a fabulous guest, and we're going to provide the information to everybody so they can discover who you are, where you are, have them uh, subscribe to your newsletter. We'll put all that information out. Right. We'll be putting it in the show notes under the podcast. So if anyone wants to visit it online or when we can visit it in person or participate in an art talk, uh, that way you'll have everything you need. So. Yeah, and right away you can visit the sassyartmuseum.org, sassyartmuseum.org. Mm-hmm. Sassy is spelled S-A-S-S-E. Check it out. I I think you'll discover something really interesting there. And by all means, you may want to subscribe to the newsletter. That's always uh, very informative. So we'll post all of the museum contacts, the information, show notes, like Angie said. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, thanks again, Gene. Yes, and thank you, Gene, for being on the show today. Well, thank you for asking me. Um, this was quite fun. I was pretty nervous before starting, but uh, this was really quite, so quite are enjoyable. We. And I thank both both you and Rod and Angie for asking me. Oh, you're very welcome. No, we were happy. We we're very proud and happy to have you as a guest. And I think our listeners are going to really enjoy what you have to yes. say because you know you can. You're not going to get this kind of information typically from any. 
uh, director of a museum. They're yeah. gonna, they're not gonna tell it like it really is, and probably not be as uh, genuine as you've been. And that right. I think is what we appreciate the most about this interview. You're we're extremely genuine and forthcoming with your thoughts and ideas. But bye for now. All right. Take care. Bye. I'm really glad you tuned in today. We hope you enjoyed the thoughts and ideas we shared with you. We post a new podcast every week, so remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. So it's bye for now from my husband Rod and I, wishing everyone a great day. Music